Hey guys, welcome back to a new episode of Agri Dulce. It is so good to be back creating new content for you guys to listen to while you kill your time on your way to work or cooking or showering or getting just like dead beat for El Hangueo de esta noche. Um, for those of you who just happened to pop into this ninth episode, I think it's a ninth episode, correct me if I'm wrong, and you have never heard my podcast before, hi there, my name is Fianelli, Fee for short, I am from Puerto Rico and I currently reside in Mayagüez, I am interning at HP Inc., and uh, what else can I say about me? Oh my god, this elevator pitch is terrible, I hate small talk, whatever, Point is, I encourage you to go back to episode one and get to know me a little bit better. I am pretty easygoing, so I think you'll like me. And if not, well, then you can just continue on to the ninth episode. If you're here and you haven't listened to anything else and you're just interested in what I'm going to talk about today because you saw the topic on social media or the internet or whatever, well, welcome. This is going to be, hopefully, this is going to be pretty good and hopefully you'll enjoy it or agree with me or disagree with me. Uh, it doesn't matter. I just want to spark conversation and spark some kind of engagement and, you know, show, share my point of view uh, about all these things that are going on today, live and in action. So let's get started. For those of you who did not see what I'm going to speak about today. I posted it all over Instagram and Twitter, and I encourage you guys to give your opinions before I even started recording this. Uh, today, I am going to talk about the jaw-dropping, eye-opening, just like, oh my god. It's just like this documentary that was uploaded on Netflix on May 24th. It's only been like five days and it's been absolutely murdered and slammed by the Puerto Rican community uh, after Maria. This documentary uh, basically just, uh, it shattered me, but I'll get more into that later. Uh, a little bit, a little bit about this documentary is what I'm going to get into, Uh this documentary is a very particular one because usually when you're expecting something Maria related, you want to see what happened in the island and the story from that narrative, but it completely strays away from that and it focuses more on a family uh, of four women in particular who uh, fled the island uh, and were you know, displaced by FEMA to these uh, hotel rooms in the Bronx in New York. So it's a pretty interesting perspective because I had never really, you know, we weren't really, uh, us Puerto Ricans who stayed in Puerto Rico did not really get that much insight on what was happening to those who left over there. And it was pretty intriguing. I was pretty excited that this was going to be a different twist to the same story. So I actually sat down and I watched it with my dad this past weekend. I think I watched it on Sunday evening or something like that. And I am surprisingly a very, not surprisingly, you know, I consider myself a very empathetic and sympathizing person, very understanding. And I tend to not judge before I actually get to understand the situation. But, uh... This documentary lasts like 30-something minutes, and it is so, so 
utterly vague that it doesn't really give the viewer the opportunity to sort of step into these four females shoes you know you're sort of still watching it from the outside looking in you're not really you know you're not really understanding in its complete entirety the situation that these people are going through and at first I was pretty just like disappointed in the way that Puerto Ricans were being portrayed because it kind of makes us look like we're leeching off federal aiding and you know it it's something that is really really just an opinion that is that is um, immensely widespread through the nasty words that Americans have to say about us Puerto Ricans and that's basically what I want to dive into after so many days of thinking and just wow just analyzing this I really feel like I want to talk about that but before I get into that I actually want to take a minute to talk about my experience after Maria because honestly I want to see where you got I want you guys to see where I am coming from and I want you guys to see that my situation is nothing similar like I cannot resonate with uh, what is being documented in this documentary and you know it's very I want you guys to notice how susceptible opinions are uh, just because I'm saying it does not mean that it is politically correct uh, it's just from where I'm standing and this is exactly where you're gonna see uh, when you start talking about this with other people you know uh, it can really go anyway so just full disclosure you know this is I am gonna give my story my not so politically correct opinion the Puerto Rican Boricua you know kind of just arroz con habichuela mampostiao ahí un revolu and then I'm gonna give a little bit more of an educated opinion what I would really stand by if I had to defend uh my Puerto Rican community in front of loads and loads of gringos colonizadores <laughs> moving on okay let's get started with my story so uh my life after maria was a very strange point of my life and it was actually a very very strange point because way before maria not way before but just a couple months before maria for those of you who do not live in puerto rico um public education in puerto rico was at risk it was a stake we were getting loads of funds being uh, cut down by the millions and there was a huge strike uh, you know uh, across the island there are 11 campuses that belong to the public college education island wide and everybody was on strike so those were two months of pure strike and we almost lost our semester so we were sort of getting we we tried to finish the semester in like what four weeks we finished our semester at the end of June so you guys can only imagine how absolutely terrible that was so as soon as we got out of that the next semester started and then suddenly we got Irma hitting us and obviously Irma didn't hurt us as bad as Maria and I did not feel the effect directly of what 
Irma did to Puerto Rico. So when there was the announcement that Maria was going to come, I was actually not considering getting prepared at all. I did go to the supermarket and I did buy uh, loads of food and water and everything. But I had planned to stay in my studio in Mayagüez and uh, my boyfriend was actually going to stay with me uh, and just to not leave me alone but we thought this was going to be something very temporary we thought it'd be very very similar to Irma we thought it'd be like okay it's just a week maybe no power for a couple days uh, but we'll get back on track and the semester keeps going on so I'm not sure what the heck happened that uh, my suegra was just like no you were not staying in Mayagüez That is a terrible freaking idea. This does not look good. Maria is immense and there is absolutely no lie in that. That shit was scary. And I had, wow, este, verdad, en términos super, super cafre, los cojones de oro, just like, I had big balls, like, to even think about staying alone in Mayagüez, in my tiny four-walled apartment just just laying it out there that was wow I'm so glad I never did that so uh, my suegra actually told me to stay over at her place and we stayed in Camuy and I was like you know I had not even been together with my boyfriend for like a year so that was I mean very kind of her but I did not feel like I had you know that kind of confianza with her so whatever I was like it's just a couple days um it'll all be fine and when the day finally came you know just up until midnight I lost phone service and the power went out and then we thought the hurricane would pass on through the night but honestly we woke up at five in the morning just to realize like holy crap this is taking way longer to pass than we thought it would I don't remember exactly at how many miles per hour Maria was actually hitting us I think it was approximately eight miles an hour so she was just taking her sweet sweet time in passing through the island and it it was actually not expected for her to go right across us and that is exactly what she did (laughs) up until Kamui you know, she actually went out of the island through uh, the northwest coast. And, you know, she, you might think that, oh, okay, it's just the northwest coast. She's not really hitting all of the other uh, towns. But if you guys could go back and Google an image of Hurricane Maria, it basically... <laughs> It basically covered the whole island. And just thinking about it shatters my heart because there is absolutely no town in Puerto Rico that did not feel the intensity of Maria. It was, you know, all the way down to Cabo Rojo, there were houses just crushed. And this shattered my heart, you know, just thinking, having a whole day to process, like this is not going anywhere and it will not stop. Uh, I would just clench my hands and, you know, think about how are my friends doing? How is my mom doing? I am not with her right now. What is my dad thinking? He's all the way out of the island. 
what are all my family members seeing on the news at this very moment over there in the mainland? Um, And while I was thinking about this, like homes around us were being pulled apart and were being shattered by this fucking huge hurricane. Um, We actually... uh, up until Kamui, we had no power all the way until mid-November. And we actually did not have uh, a huge source of water. The We were actually counting on having two water, uh, rest- uh, you know, those water storage things that go above your house. I'm not sure. ¿Cómo se llama eso en inglés? Sé que es una cisterna. People bear with me in my Spanglish. Uh, we were counting with two of them, and the winds were so freaking, you know, I think they were like 155, 155, can I speak, 155 miles an hour. They picked up the water storage thing up in the air, and it freaking exploded, and there went our water source right before our eyes. So uh, we actually had to ration our water even more than what we were already going to do. And then, uh, you know, we had, she, my, my suegra had uh, avocado trees, she had pine trees, um, oranges, and pomegranates, and, and passion fruit, and platanos, and she had uh, pumpkins, she had so many vegetables, and fruits, and, you know, so much, so many trees, and they were all absolutely gone, and once this hurricane was over, the next day, at around like three in the morning, when we went out, we woke up like at six in the morning, there was actually no way to get out of Kamui. There was no way to get out from where, from the streets that I was actually staying in. And we spent approximately five to six days just cutting down trees and moving, you know, trying to clean clear the path to uh, actually get on the main avenue to, you know, see what was going on. Uh, Luckily, we never had to make a line for gas. Uh, My boyfriend had only done it once, and we never had to do it again because they have a boat, and they had loads of gas on there, so we were very, very lucky, honestly. But I spent two weeks not knowing a single thing about my mom. You know, I had no idea how my mom was, how my house was, how my apartment in Mayagüez was. I had no way to contact my dad to let him know I was fine. My mom must have been freaking out. And when I finally, when we finally cleared the path, I went to go visit my mom only to realize she wasn't at her house And after luckily guessing she might have been at my uncle's house, we find her and everything's fine. So honestly, the experience was just extremely traumatizing, but I cannot, you know, I feel like, you know, everyone has dreaded the situation and everyone has the right to grieve, but I feel like I really cannot grieve publicly because, you know, the stakes were really high and I did not go through half of the stuff that I have heard 
people telling me about, you know. I was very fortunate and I could live without power. I could live without, you know, no communication uh, because my friends, my family, and everybody was fine. Everybody was okay. Nobody was missing anything. Um, so that was that was just very relieving. But it's very unfortunate to see those around me. I went back to college a few, I think it was like a month and a half later, uh, classes started again. And there were so many students who lost their apartments there's so many students whose parents uh, lost their homes. And, you know, uh, there was this Halloween party that we were not thinking about. There's this annual Halloween party, for those of you who do know, in Mayagüez, that is right in the middle of It's in the, um, oh, my God, downtown. So everybody goes there. It's just full all the time. But this year, it was really, really empty. And surprisingly, there was actually enough people attending for us to have a super good time. But, you know, it's like there was power in Mayaguez and there was water really fast after the hurricane. And even so, you could look at people and you could see, you know, how gut-wrenched they were. You know, they were destroyed People, you know, I had to go through meeting up with friends and being like, oh, my God, it's been such a long time. How are you? And, you know, there's just super dead silence. And, you know, their eyes are just fixated on you. Like, they're just trying not to cry. So that gets me super emotional. I had to go through that so many times that it was actually preoccupying you know the emotional and mental health of us Puerto Ricans after this hurricane has been you know uh, progressively getting worse it's just like usually after a hurricane things get better over time but things just really got worse and worse and worse and worse you know their facts about Maria you know real facts about Maria. The response team and the government failed us miserably. There was absolutely no response after all of this went down. Hospitals had power outages, meaning people who were actually hurt from the hurricane did not get the medical attention that they needed. People who were stuck in their homes because of landslides and floods died because there was actually nobody who could respond to all these emergencies. Uh, People who were actually on life support, people who needed oxygen tanks to live, uh, people who needed uh, pills and medications did not have accessibility to them because pharmacies were closed. Uh, Honestly, my suegra's neighbor is actually a nurse at a hospital, and she could not go home after the hurricane. She came back home after a whole week of staying at the hospital, and it is her job, and, you know, hats off to her because that is something 
that you need to be so passionate about. But I remember her getting back home after a whole week of being at the hospital. And she literally just fell to her knees and started crying. And that was really eye-opening to me because it's not like doctors and nurses and professionals are not suffering the the consequences too. Everybody was directly affected by this hurricane. And, you know, I've already gotten to the point where enough about me because I did not go through shit. What I went through was, was projected onto me through the people who were around me. And eso no puede ir desapercibido. Como que it's not even about us when we talk about this. Uh, usually we find ourselves talking more about our families, our friends, uh, the people around us. And that for me is very, very shocking. I still get very emotional talking about this. Um, and that's where I want to go. You know, when things just got worse, people got desperate. And when I mean desperate, I, I mean like just straight up frustrated uh, and looking for answers and help any way they could. So I had the choice to leave and I did not do it because... I really felt like I would struggle way more out there than what I would struggle here. I felt like this could not be a dead end. There has to be, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I practically made my life over here. I had my apartment. I was not crushed. Um, I still had a semester that was not canceled. I had to finish my semester. I could not lose all the hard work I had already put in. Um, No, I did not have a job. And no, I did not have my car. And yes, things were really messed up and I was really broke. But there was genuinely something in me that could not let me leave my family, my friends, my boyfriend behind and I I stuck to it it was hard it was sad it was you know terrifying but I stayed and yes I am very proud to say that in a certain way I helped my community I helped my family uh, my boyfriend's family and we all got through it but I cannot judge the people who under desperation and seeking aid and seeking moving out of this toxic, toxic ambiance that we were living in. You know, the bureaucracy of the Puerto Rican government, the inefficiency and the irresponsibility. uh, Seeking to run away from that is an excellent reason to leave Puerto Rico and props to those who did leave and props to those who amidst the language barrier and amidst the marginalism and amidst the racism and the discrimination and the secondhand help from FEMA made it through. Props to those who without FEMA's help made it through. 
props to those families out there who received their family members with open arms because I know so many families who did not even do that. Props to those families who helped kickstart their family's future in a, a place where they had no idea how to integrate themselves in and, you know, begin from, you know, fresh from zero. And this is where I'm really wanting to go, you know, this is the way I am trying to enter this whole subject about the documentary. Uh, My honest opinion, uh, I think this documentary is, you know, relatively inaccurate. We are talking about three million Puerto Ricans on the island and only 4% of the population left to the mainland. We are talking about a little over 130,000 people. And yes, this is very important. I think everybody should have their space to tell their story. And this is an amazing initiative. And I am not, you know, shaming all the work that this person has done, but it is really tasteless to use such an important platform like Netflix and a documentary to only portray the reality of Puerto Ricans who fled the island. And not just this, but you have sloppily selected four women who have portrayed such a negative picture of what the Puerto Rican actually is There are so many things that are wrong with this documentary. First of all, uh, these women fled. Yes, they did not flee Puerto Rico as soon as the hurricane happened. FEMA actually got to their house. I think they said it was like a month or two after the hurricane. And they were told that they could not stay in their house because it was completely destroyed. It is shown on the film. And clearly, they could not live there. Like, it is a fact. So FEMA was funding, um, they were helping these Puerto Ricans, you know, they were locating them in New York at a hotel for six months, you know, and for as, as much as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, they had expenses paid. Um, there were helps such as uh, relocating students to schools and these people had food, these people had places to stay. And yes, they do talk about, you know, the inaccessibility to um, healthcare and uh, medications and whatnot and treatments. But I strongly feel like six months is more than enough time to establish yourself. And uh, I'm so torn between absolutely hating this documentary and trying to empathize with it because Yes, these women tried to find uh, places to stay, but obviously New York is such a crowded, saturated place. It is, I can't even begin to imagine how hard it must be to find an apartment. And, you know, New York is actually a very expensive state. Never been there, but I've heard, and it does not sound that pretty. But, you know, that these are those details are just one small detail of what the whole documentary is. I think it's very important that when you're going to show things like this, you actually 
focus those things. You don't leave them like in the background. What we are seeing in this documentary are four different, uh, you know, three women, three adult women from different families living on the same floor in this hotel and obviously just struggling together because they are going through exact same things that, you know, they're going all through the same thing. And, you know, I understand that these people who left and are being taken care of by FEMA and they're all being squished in one room, a whole fucking family in one room that is super uncomfortable. You know, it's like they never really finished going through it. It's like Maria never ended for them. And in that point, I do see what she's trying to show. But, but, um, I'm a very strong believer of initiative and hard work. You know, these people had six months to get jobs and establish themselves. And although I understand the language barrier, there are so many other people who did make it against the tempest and the turmoil. And the women on here basically just did side hustles and, you know, nothing more. They just waited patiently to see if FEMA would extend their stay at the hotel. And, you know, that's alarming because any American watch, you know, I as a Puerto Rican know that FEMA sucks and the government sucks and the bureaucracy sucks and Trump did absolutely zero out of 10 in his work here in Puerto Rico. Just threw paper towels at us so we could, you know, dry our fucking tears and... Yes, I recognize that. But an American, you know, someone who lives on the mainland does not see this. You know, it's really alarming. And any American watching this would only be more misinformed and have a complete misconception of what the struggle was really like over here. You know, I'm not saying that we who stayed here on the island suffered more, but, you know... The same goes, you know, we, we didn't suffer more than those who did leave, but we did prevail again and again by helping each other when the government and the response teams failed to do their job. And why couldn't you show more of that? Why couldn't you show that for the people who left, people who didn't know English, people who didn't have jobs, people who left and stayed with their families for months on end until they got enough money to leave and find their own homes, people who, you know, struggled with two, three jobs, you know, people who left their families here in Puerto Rico to get a job and then call them to bring, you know, to bring them over there to the mainland, you know, why couldn't you show more of that? Why couldn't you show more initiative, you know, amongst the helplessness instead of showing the consequences of leaving your fate to the American government? What, you know, why would you drag the Puerto Ricans collectively through that? You know, I understand that it's not easy to incorporate yourself in a community it is not easy to start from zero start fresh start with nothing it is not easy to leave your homeland 
because of of a catastrophe like Maria. And I, you know, I could never invalidate any of the things that these women are going through. We are talking about a woman who had tumors in her throat. We are talking about a woman who could not find an apartment and literally was being told by FEMA and hotels to go to a homeless shelter. We are talking about a 12-year-old girl and her very vulnerable emotions and self-esteem and lack of friends and lack of community. The change of scenery that could probably scar her for the rest of her life you know such an important phase was being crushed by this terrible hurricane and I think that was also super super wrong to be put in a documentary like I feel like it's a little bit senseless to use a little girl and her you know emotional and mental health and just show it off to the world you know it's just a little it's just so insensitive to me um I don't know I I don't know I feel like there is so much irresponsibility in this documentary and I'm not happy about it I'm not happy about it at all um but I am trying to be empathetic. I am trying to not think of, you know, these women out there with their own personal struggles as el epitome of lo que es el mantengo en la isla uh, because there is this huge, you know, fault that we have in Puerto Rico and it's that I'm not saying these women were like this, but there are so many Puerto Ricans who live off you know food stamps and government helps and you know coupons and shit like that and they don't work they just keep on having more kids in order to get more help they decide to not work because if they start working they lose all these benefits um and it's so hard. That's that's what really worries me. Like, it's so hard to separate these three adult women from this Puerto Rican stereotype. And this Puerto Rican stereotype is mostly what Americans hear over there. So they think that Puerto Ricans, oh my God, ah, ah, ah. Puerto Ricans as a collective are like this. And no, we Puerto Ricans are you know, pure at heart, we have no filter, we say what we're feeling, we're strong-hearted, um, I think we're lion-hearted, honestly, we are, we are so strong, um, but most importantly, we are humble, and we have a strong sense of togetherness and community, and we have a huge, huge heart and support system for, you know, from Puerto Ricans to Puerto Ricans. And I'm really glad they did show that in the documentary. It is very culture-filled. Um, you just feel the warmth of how we really are. You know, they show these birthday celebrations. And it really shows how us Puerto Ricans uh, 
make such a great memory out of, you know, something so simple out of nothing. Um, you know, we work with what we have and we try to make the best of it. And I think that I do, you know, I really do appreciate that being shown there. But everything else is just a fucking flop. And, you know, I'm not much of an analyst here, but I am very strong opinioned and I think it's always good to have an opinion because you know having an opinion helps you grow and have not only having an opinion but speaking about your opinion does help you grow because this engages you in a conversation and it also simultaneously creates a conversation because people have their own opinions and this serves as a response to what you're thinking and we want people to learn from us, but we have no idea how much we take from them when we create a conversation. So I don't really, I'd never really thought about talking about this on a podcast, dedicating a whole episode to this because I have learned along the way that there are certain things that I should, you know, keep to myself. But since I was actually told by someone to do this, I felt immediately like encouraged and, you know, to hell with it. What else can I do? You know, so I really want to hear your side of the story to this. I want to hear your stories about your after Maria. Hit me up on the Instagram page that belongs to Agridulce. It's at at Agridulce Podcast. You can hit me up on Twitter. It's arvalv, A-R-V-A-L-V, or through my personal Instagram, fee.alvarado. And honestly, I am not going to continue to talk much more because it's already almost 40 minutes in and I want to keep it as concise as possible so you guys don't get bored. (laughs) So, Please, please do speak up about this. Share this episode. I want this to reach as many people as possible. I want this to become a whole movement on learning and understanding each other um, in order to, you know, become closer rather than separating each other. Um, Thank you so much for taking your time to listen to this and for, you know, uh, hearing me out. It means a lot to me that you guys care um and I also wanted to take a minute to talk about uh let you guys know that I still have loads of stickers to give away uh if you're interested in them just share this episode on your stories on a post and tag me and send me your address through direct message and I'll have it sent over to you in no time um Well, that's about that. I think I'm going to record a new episode and save it for next week. Um, So I'm going to go now before it gets really, really late. (laughs) Take care, you guys. Have a wonderful one. And I'll see you guys later. Bye.